I'm very aware that podcasts are an audio medium, but that doesn't help me right now because I am speechless. <laughs> Is this the best Nicolas Cage film ever made? This is undisputably, <laughs> this is essential. This is, I, I don't know where to begin trying to unpack this thing. Let's just go straight in with a very basic uh, segment we have on here. Is this a Cage classic, Ben? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, this is this- like, far and away, this is everything you could want from from the guy and spending this these last 10 or so days with him it it's sort of given me context clues along the way but this was like this is by no means a slow fade into this it's been such a joy watching him build up to this and it still makes absolutely no sense where this performance comes from it still <laughs> makes no sense it comes out of nowhere it's, it's maybe about six years since i last watched this film so i was watching these other films in the context of waiting for this film to see exactly how his acting changes on the way towards this and on the last few films i started to think i think i'm starting to get it and this comes out and it's so much more ridiculous than i remember <laughs> I st- it makes no sense at all uh, before we go further ben do you want to give a quick synopsis of what we've just watched oh you'd like me to try and recount the storyline of vampire's kiss i would love for you to give us your take on the storyline of the 1988 classic vampire's kiss <laughs> i've less than three minutes ago finished watching it and i think i would struggle here we go I, I've, I've requested immediately that ben came straight on with no no, no break time from, there's no respite between the film to we've this. done no preamble because i can't hold it in there is so much ammunition i'm so glad that we have this place that i am able to just vent what has happened I, I know it was maybe a week ago you were saying i am so excited for uh, the first time that nick really pops off and my god does he pop wow, off even even anticipating it good lord so okay this film is called vampires kiss and it is about vampires or is it <laughs> nicholas cage plays a character named peter liu and he busts out a fantastic awful all over the place acted. He sounds like he's doing a Stewie Griffin impression through this whole film, and it's so funny. <laughs> Brian, I'm a vampire. You're going to have to kill me. At no point Ugh. was this supposed to be a comedy. That's the funniest thing about it. Absolutely. It's the funniest horror f- film I've ever seen. It, yeah, it's, it does not feel like a horror film at any moment. I love. Well, it isn't, is it? I know it's listed as one, but this is ridiculous. This is the film I love the most at. By, like we watched Raising Arizona which is a comedy and this I laughed so much more at but for entirely different reasons this has twice the laughs immediately two different flavours of the same fruit it's a fruit we really know we can't eat yeah this is the forbidden fruit Peter Leo gets bitten by a vampire possibly hard to say <laughs> But that's what the directors want me to do. Who who cares? <laughs> let's let's speculate that he was. And then that's pretty much the storyline. Peter Leo, played by Nicolas Cage, is high up in a company where they do distribution on 
book publishing deals and he is a man that loves to have files organized and he can't believe that anyone <laughs> won't he harasses one of the poor girls that works at the at his place of what like i feel so sorry for her all throughout this getting ha- harangued by cage is bad at the best of times but he is on another level in this film that's maria conchita alonso playing alva restrepo in this who gets as the secretary who gets harassed repeatedly by nick god bless her soul that poor poor lady even though she's acting i felt bad for her the entire way through because i could imagine we know we know his his kind of methods in this i imagine he was just awful to be around i shudder to think some of the methods he went through to achieve the performances that he got well you brought up you brought up yesterday that he the cockroaches that he eats are real he eats a live cockroach for seemingly no reason it adds nothing to the story i read up on that and it's his idea to put that in of course it was everything in this film that's one of his own scenes right there. everything in this film i'm convinced is his idea and i know exactly why that is we watched him in a coen brothers film and as we well know he got pulled back on the reins for being t- too much improvisation and trying to put his own spin on things he he conceded that's fine the next film he does was moonstruck with share which we also know he didn't want to do it wasn't the kind of film he wanted to make but his agent insisted this film share insisted <laughs> share insisted is share his agent ah interesting we can speculate on that later that's more for the cage conspiracy this movie is Nick Cage going in with low stakes. He knows that this is a low-budget film. It's a safe place in which he can do whatever the fuck he wants in, and they'll just be grateful to have him involved in the production of the movie. Well, I'll tell you what, Ben. I'm going to come straight in with a 2018 Cage fact for you. Oh, nice. Just, it's, it's a very simple Cage fact. It's just it's uh, Within an eight, uh, interview for GQ, Nicolas Cage actually stated that this is the favourite movie he has ever made. <laughs> of course it was. That doesn't surprise me in the least, because he was told whatever they honestly must have just said do whatever you want man it's confirmed in the uh, dvd's director's commentary from robert beerman that um in that scene where he destroys the room it's all real furniture and glass oh. it's a one take they couldn't have done it again so they set up a couple of cameras he broke one of the cameras yeah because on- honestly like my deeper theory i thought we'd get into this a little later in the in the show but i may as well bring it up now this was just a safe space in which he was trying to he needs to test the limits of his rage. We, he's hinted at it before that he has this power, and he I think he was frightened of it. He needed to do this to keep himself safe and to better understand his own capabilities so no one would get hurt later down the line. Well, going back into that cage fact I gave you, because it's a free-parter. Oh, so I'm going to go into... Uh, in that same interview, he went on to say that he recently had showed that as recently as uh, 2018, so we're only talking two years ago here. Mm. He showed this film to a female friend. And he he said, I think it scared her. She left. And then he just laughed. I mean, yeah. Is he still just playing himself, Ben? Well, this is another thing I'd love to bring up. I found it fascinating. I don't know if it was a budget constraint. I don't know if it was a creative choice. I don't know if it was Nick Cage getting across what he wants and this thread he's been weaving. This character had the same tattoo visible as the last one. Exactly. This is the same character he's playing, but he's never been playing a character. He's playing himself. He is just this person that has been able to shift through time and space. And I'm sorry to bring it up again, but I'm so convinced. And he's just, he's lived for an eternity. That's why he's like, I can do whatever I want. 
There's no consequences. Well, we already know that he's uh, this same character where he has exper- experience in catching pigeons like he does halfway through this film. There is a lot of bird stuff happening with this man. Oh, God. But yeah, he steals a pigeon. Uh, going back to part three of this cage fact, there is also another interview, I believe, with Robert Beerman uh, saying that there are several different edits of this film, and the one that was released is their least favourite one between Beerman and Cage. Wow. Uh, with Cage stating that the lost scenes represented some of his best work. <laughs> oh what the fuck was taken out of this? Based, based on what was left in, Cage does go on to say that he longs for those scenes to be restored someday. So I don't know if they're available anywhere. Oh. I would give I would give my right hand to see that. Yeah, I would <laughs> lose my right arm to see that tape. Uh, I, I kind of don't know where to, to begin on discussing this. There is just, there's so much. I'm going to give you one, one of your own straight back at you here. What were you thinking? What, I mean... <laughs> I told you, man. I know exactly what he was thinking. He just needed he needed to to test his powers in a safe place, and he got to do whatever he wanted, and that I can tell. This, this is the first full cage, no restraints film. Absolutely, this is he goes beyond full. And that's full cage. that's why I think you're going to enjoy this as well. It's not so much of a fact, but it is a little bit of trivia for you. That I'm gonna, I think you're going to like this. There were five other actors that were considered for Cage's role as Peter Lowe. No, could could never be anyone but him. Because there's no other man for the job. No, there really this, isn't. This movie is entirely hinged on one man's unhinged performance. and This is a one-man show. There's no way out of absolutely, that. Absolutely. Like, the film is, like, not good. It's, like, a low-budget, quite choppy, almost B-movie-esque movie. But Nick Cage makes it so watchable. There's a, a really, actually enjoy some of the ways that he plays this and some of the there is a lot of clever links despite how silly this film is so do you notice the way that he's moving around uh, especially in the it's like a very laughable similar to when we said he had those kind of inverted jazz hands in a yes yeah so he's kind of doing that a lot it's like a Nosferatu walk exactly what I'm getting yeah. at do you clock that he's watching Nosferatu earlier in the film and a lot of his uh, body language and the way that he carries himself is supposed to be based on that as like paying homage to the film makes total sense but again more foreshadowing we even saw him doing the Dracula hands as we called it but that was him if you, if you want to talk about foreshadowing why don't you have a stab in the dark at a film that would take influence from this? More more precisely, an actor who would take from this role to turn it into an absolute classic. I thought about this on the way through and wondered if it was uh, if if it was ever in writing, and then I actually found it without realising that it's actually true. Mike Myers voicing Shrek. No. <laughs> it would be Christian Bale in American Psycho. Yeah, oh, totally. Same energy, man. Yeah, Same energy. Exactly. It's just a much more refined and uh, kind of... Wow. They had a budget kind of version. Yeah, okay, I really see that. Yeah, well, I think once you start kind of comparing them to that, I don't think this film is as bad as we like to make out just because it has so many ridiculous scenes. You're, you end up distancing yourself from what's actually happening. And admittedly, it is a messy, messy story and it can be confusing. But when you say that it's kind of this budget B-movie, I do almost get the feeling that that's the intention. No, likewise. I didn't mean that in a disrespectful way at all. It felt stylistic. And again, maybe I retract saying it's a, not a good film because there's something in there. But yeah, moreover, the entire thing is just 
the, it's the Cade show, but in all the right ways. Oh, absolutely. I'm just trying to find uh, this second uh, bit that I thought was quite clever, and it was to do with the eating of the cockroach. Oddly enough, this is the only time he's ever successfully eaten something on screen. <laughs> Apparently it took three takes. <laughs> So I know exactly what those first two look like. <laughs> if those cockroaches turned out anything like those apples, they'd wish they were the dead kids on the side of the cotton club. He went for an absolutely <laughs> massive cockroach first time, and they were like, you can't chew that, it's too big. And it was like, watch me. Like, I'll do what I want, I've got my new teeth. <laughs> How brilliant, speaking of new teeth, is it that only two to three films into him getting new teeth and he's putting plastic vampire teeth in his fucking mouth. Oh, mate. This movie was very much the gift that, that kept on giving. From you watching it before and me never have, granted you watched it a few years ago, and watching it in tandem and messaging one another, it was great fun to get geared up towards it. And I thought that I was cracking up at the beginning where he is doing his acting against the bat that flies in the room. Oh my I thought God. that was hilarious. And I thought, this is, this is the peak. He's just doing some really really awkward swatting around here i think it was new ground for him acting against something that isn't there yeah it's very strange and speaking of the acting against something that isn't there there's just the, the those mirror scenes as well oh my I'm just gosh. oh my he's pretending that he can't see himself so he's it's essentially at this point in the film he's starting to believe that he is actually a vampire and he goes into the the kind of office toilets where he first looks in the mirror and can't see himself and just starts losing his mind. And it is just unbelievable. The performance he gives there is absolutely next level. And the, the script is also so, so, so funny. I've, I feel that so much of this must have been improv. Yeah, but it's... I mean, the performance of the improv is very funny, but the words he chooses to say are so bad when he's looking in the mirror just going where am i where am i that he's so bad in that scene that even the person taking a shit in the cubicle in the bathroom he's looking at calls him out for being an, a bad actor yeah he's like if you're gonna run lines do it somewhere else he actually says the words i'm a vampire when he looks in the mirror oh my god that's so bad it's the oh god where am i where am i i'm becoming a vampire (laughs) (laughs) the director clearly gave him the loosest direction they were like okay so in this scene you can't see yourself and you're wondering like you know you're wondering where am i because you're and then you realize you're becoming a vampire and he was like cool that'll do I want to know, Ben, the amount of swearing in this is completely incredible, but I do want to ask you, what was your favourite moment of bad language in this? My favourite swear that he does is, and uh, I can't completely remember what happens, I think basically he gets, he breaks up with the girlfriend he has at the beginning, and she says, well, fuck you, or something like that, and he goes, oh, well, fuck you too, sister, in a southern <laughs> voice. Yeah, it's a gold one there. How about you? Have you got a, f- a favourite line that stands out? Yeah, I, I do have a favourite one. It's quite early on. It's when the bat first attacks him and then he goes to the psychiatrist. The psych- he goes to see a psychiatrist and he's trying to explain it to a psychiatrist and then just comes out with the, the kind of shouted line, I was in mortal combat with a fucking bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's some good shit. That has to be improv. My first thought, the first note I wrote down for this was, Imagine being Nick Cage's therapist. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, after he'd done this film, he must have just been like, listen, I let out I let out a bit too much, I think. Oh, yeah, he'd have to have seen someone after this. We know he goes method as well. This is, well... <laughs> maybe this is what led him to stay in Dracula's uh, castle. Do you think his acting in this is good? Uh, wow. Yeah. 
I think for what it's supposed to be, and that's again, we're saying this is the first real full cage, full experience, no no holds barred. Yeah, I mean it was definitely that. I don't necessarily think it's bad. I think it could do with being refined. Ooh, yeah. But I think when we're talking about this film, you have to take it for what it is. And it is a kind of tongue in cheek B movie kind of kind of vibe to it. The acting it's not supposed to be realistic. It's Nick's it's the the epitome of what he does but it's still early in his career and I think it still needs refining but it's some of the most over exaggerated acting the bit where he jumps on the table to find oh Alva is just that's the first it like, is peak cage it's incredible Alva Alva I don't necessarily think that this is bad acting I mean it's different acting but that's it and he's a man that prides himself on Novo Shameism Nova schematic acting style. I mean, I, he's he's nailed it on this. I, I, you can't talk about this film without talking about his acting. And from that, you know what? That's such a good comment. There's not many films that can really be that can be said about. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, the best possible feedback you could give. You this. may not think that this is great conventional acting, but it is completely memorable. I'd, I'd retract that and say it is unforgettable. Like you will never, you will never forget this film. I'm a different person having finished this film, <laughs> and I, I don't know if I can ever look at our dear sweet Nicky the same way. <laughs> I love, I love the little hints that he's got to it as well. Like that every time he sees a cross, where he kind of like retracts, and then there's the he keeps trying to break all of the mirrors that he sees, and then the real icing on the cake for me is when he turns his sofa into a coffin. Oh my god. That whole sequence I actually thought was just really cute. I thought he was like a really sweet younger brother where he's getting all excited about vampires and becoming one and he turns his sofa upside down to sleep under it and he goes and buys the plastic fangs and then he's running around and speaking of the plastic fangs, oh my god. I genuinely, I genuinely, I literally cried with laughter yeah, at the bit where he got me. shoves them into his mouth. It's the and first just, time you see him with them just bulging out of his mouth. They just oh don't fit God. at all. <laughs> his eyes are just pointing in completely different directions. And it's I, just... I did make a note on this. I think this is the first film that we see he has mastered going cross-eyed. <laughs> oh, and he uses it. He uses it in most scenes. Yeah, he absolutely does. He also, in this movie, I noticed, he's developed a new style of tongue acting. He realised he's got eyebrow acting like pretty down. The eye stuff is good. He uses his tongue a lot to yeah. be a real creep in this, and not easy to do. Um, on, on, on another level from this, so we know this is uh, directed by Robert Beerman. Do you know much right. about Robert Beerman? No, nothing. So this is quite early into his career. This is his first like real feature length yeah one of his last (laughs) (laughs) he went on to direct eight episodes of the bill (laughs) four episodes of holy city two episodes of casualty are you kidding me this film potentially did end his career (laughs) it was the nail in the coffin so it's the nail in the sofa (laughs) (laughs) so is he a british guy if he's done all these british dramas i think he must be yeah, well, wow, that's weird. I wonder how those episodes look. Oh, I, I don't think I'd like to see it. Some of the most iconic Nick Cage memes came from his performance in this in this film. Yes, that wide the wide eyed bit where he's going that in absolutely insane moment of just tearing down Alva. Yeah, the whole bit where he's explained to her that she is the 
She's the lowest on the totem pole. That whole scene and his refusal to blink. You can tell it's palpable how much that guy wants to just close his eyes and open them again, but he is refusing. It hurts to watch. He's doing the opposite and just opening them more and more and tipping his head back. And oh my God, it was quite something. Like to be in the room when he did that must have been... So that's that's one of my favourite moments of this. But there's another moment where I imagine you were probably quite close to tears as well. And that's the moment where he goes to a house, calls the truce, gets her back into the taxi. And as soon as he's in the taxi and she thinks that they're making up and he's not going to be such a terrible boss, just turns it back on her that she has to find this file. Oh my God. (laughs) How much did you lose it at that moment? Because I I was was gone. One of the main things I wrote in this was just saying, he's such a dick. I know. (laughs) He's just, he's such a dick, but such an unrelenting dickhead. Like he is in full cage from the get-go 15 minutes into this film he has been bitten and is going to change into a vampire and i love that pacing they crack right on with it at the very beginning of the movie and we're jumping all over the map here so apologies for anyone getting lost along the way but anyone getting lost listening to this just try and watch the film because you'll be equally as lost this is how it feels watching the film it's just a sequence of crazy events happening right at the beginning of the film he brings a lady back to his house and a bat flies in the window and this is where we get this great scene where he's he's battling this like cuddly bat on a stick on the end of the camera it looks like <laughs> she runs out of the room nude screaming Look, there's so many other places she could have gone there's, he, there's so, so many doors she could just shut herself in the bathroom just ran out in the corridor I loved that in that scene he just surrenders his house to the bat he's like we're, we're gonna go somewhere else now <laughs> you win this round bat yeah and then he gets really horny from the bat yeah he admits to the psychiatrist that he's aroused from the bat which again we already know he's got a thing for uh, bird mating yeah I mean I don't know how bats do it I believe they're small mammals but uh, oh okay I, I I reckon I reckon Cage would he'd be fine maybe they do it upside down and I think he'd respect that he's definitely into that yeah <laughs> We take a moment to talk about how much the HR of his company really sucks. Oh, absolutely. He chases that woman into the bathroom and she's threatening to get a gun out and shoot him. And all someone says, there's a, an older lady in there. And she just says, what the fuck's going on? Which I thought was funny. Yeah. That's as far as it gets. Yeah. And then they have a meeting about it afterwards where all of the other management are just laughing that he's chased her around the entire building and into the ladies' toilets. Oh, it's God. the worst HR of any company. And this, once again... Cage being creepy to girls here. He once again doesn't take a breakup well at all. Probably the worst he's ever taken one in this. In in this film, and I also made a note of this, he was like back at it again with the intense advance. You know, he's really intense with women. And uh, Rachel, the name of the lady who bites him and turns him into a vampire, he intensely comes on to her maybe, you know, 15 minutes or so into this film. But this is the first time where... He's actually got comeuppance as a result of that. Like, his life is thrown into ribbons after she bites him and turns him into a vampire. Or does she? I, I thought that was good, at least. But completely right. He is... Is that just an 80s thing? I don't know. Like, he is horrible around women. I think there's no there's no subtlety to any of his films. And that, I think that plays off quite badly yeah, for his characters. Not age particularly well. Absolutely not. He's so obviously, certainly in this one, doing such an over-the-top caricature of a character that it, you kind of just move past it. You've got no other choice. Speaking of weird ways that he's acting uh, around women, I really loved that he's talking to his therapist at the beginning and he's saying that he had this chick back at his house and he, even though he's just talking to his... Oh, he puts in the humble brag. 
He just has to go, she was really hot, you know. Yeah, it's just out, completely out of nowhere. I think later in that scene as well, uh, or possibly the next time he's with her, I wrote down something he says where he's talking about, uh, he's trying to justify why the, why the bat aroused him. And he says words along the line of, I guess I was pretty horny, pretty keyed up from the girl before. I was drunk too. That was it. I had a little drink. I was a little drunk. Plus I was horny. That bit of dialogue, again, it's just great cage ad-libbing. In all fairness, Ben, you would need so many excuses prepped for if you told someone you were aroused by a bat. That's how they end their therapy session. And then she just wants the tea, the therapist. The second he gets in there, she's like, so tell me about your bat fetish. He doesn't even sit uh, down. I, I love that, that next session. It's where he uh, lists the entire alphabet to her aggressively. <laughs> whilst jumping up onto his seat and pointing everywhere, just flailing. And my favourite part of this is at the end of it, is uh, when he's saying, I never misfiled anything, not once, not one time. I want to know really who did. And she's saying, I I couldn't possibly tell you that. Obviously, she'd have no idea, because this is such a specific thing. And he's like, you can't? He's like, no, I can't. He goes, ha, and you call yourself a psychiatrist. (laughs) What on earth is going on here? (laughs) Oh my goodness, it's so, so funny. But yeah, the bit, the alphabet bit, man, like it was just it, the momentum picked up and, and then it went and then it went. And I was like, oh, we're doing this. And by the end, he is screaming the alphabet at this poor lady. I love it at the end of it. And then he kind of like goes to sit back down as if he's done. And then she just riles him back up again. <laughs> <laughs> Other noteworthy bits. And I promise we won't drag on this for too long because we've got some segments to get through and then some prep to do for tomorrow. But, uh, that everything around that scene where he finally puts the gun loaded with blanks in his mouth is crazy. He's doing the tongue acting. He is in so intense telling her to sh- to shoot him. Then he finally puts the gun in his mouth to try kill himself. He pops off two blanks there. Explosions and all. I, I was very confused by this because surely firing a blank, you're still going to do damage to yourself at close range, especially in the mouth. Yeah. Well, maybe he, maybe he does die there in the movie, you know? Who can say? I think that's the moment where he really truly takes the turn and starts believing that he's this immortal vampire moreover nick cage did that and whatever that that can't have felt good to do (laughs) whatever it is (laughs) and then he launches in to maybe the best cry in any film ever where he sits there he's covered in tears and sweat and he just goes (laughs) (laughs) and what i love about that is the amount that he just repeats it as if like he did it caught someone's eye it like it was like a around like watching the scene and they're staring at him like what on earth was that and he's just like double down <laughs> just do it again there's almost too much to take apart in this film there's too much to unpack in this in one episode it's the, the most bizarre thing and i think that's why we we're talking about running this a little bit over to tomorrow's film just on the basis that tomorrow's film is going to be never on tuesday where he is uncredited for playing a man in a red sports car very very stoked for that one i'm actually quite excited uh we've uh had the idea of trying to do this we're going to try and actually do this podcast live as we watch the film we're going to get our binoculars out and we're going to go cage spotting we're going to see if we can pinpoint the moment but i imagine there's going to be a lot more dissecting of today's film tomorrow because there's just so much we do have a few segments to get through but just to round off discussing the film um i would be remiss not to say that this is 
an absolute cage. It's beyond a cage classic. It's a cage essential. Yeah. We very rarely do call to actions on this podcast, but I recommend you all watch it while you're in this quarantine. You'll get a good laugh and maybe it'll get you, you'll see where we're at. And maybe a lot of this will make more sense to you. It was a thrill. It's the perfect film for us to have right now, I think, as we're starting to go a little bit stir-crazy with all of this. I think it becomes a slightly relatable character. (laughs) Slightly. It was a gift (laughs) that he bestowed onto us, giving this film at this point in this journey. Very, Very appreciated. I am almost certain we will come back to this at some other point. Yeah. I'm not sure when that point will be, but this will not be the last time we watch this. Let's get going. I think the perfect way to round off talking about this is, look, I'm out here begging you, Daniel. (laughs) I'm on my knees. I'm in the pouring rain. I need you. I demand you. I require you to be nice to Nikki. Guys, this is is both too easy and too tough at the same time because there's so many things you could say. His improv in this is just fantastic. But there is a moment that I did pick up on that did really make me think, huh. And that's uh, one of the first of, let's be honest, many sex scenes in this. Yeah, there's a few. Where, um, he's there's, there's a moment where he's lying next to one of the girls on his sofa, soon to become Coffin. And he manages, in an effort to take his shoes and socks off, oh. to stretch his leg up at such a fucking strange angle that I was honestly impressed at his how agile the man really is. This so, is about three minutes into the movie and already my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> That's that's how it starts, and it, it just goes completely on a on a tangent from there. But yeah, I'm gonna be nice. Nicky was saying, absolutely fair play to you. You're a very flexible man. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, what what a thrill to watch, and yeah, the tone is set immediately. <laughs> I would like to be nice to Nicky. I'd love to hear you be nice to Nicky here. I've been excited about this. <laughs> there's there's so much to say, and a lot of it I've already covered. But this was the first time that. I oddly, for a small moment, the character was pretty loathsome, not a nice person to be around, but I was very fond of him for that brief moment where he gets the teeth, and I almost thought he was cute, I almost wanted to give him a little hug when he's running down the road going, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, I'm a vampire, (laughs) over and over again, he just looked like the happiest little boy in the world, and that's something I'd never experienced with him before and I just wanted to tussle his hair and pinch his little cheek and be like, yeah, of course you are, mate. There's moments of real childish joy um, kind of scattered throughout this film. There's moments of like the way... Everything around the fake teeth bit. There's that. There's the way that he kind of holds himself differently in the psychiatrist's office. He often is seen to be sat like a child. Hmm. And I found that to be really bizarre. I didn't clock that the first time I watched it. But um, yeah, it's just also very very silly in parts and even though there's uh, parts some serious subject matter but it's just so strange what a ride anyway next up on the agenda is cage match i think i think this is going to be a very short cage match because i think this is gonna- we have returning <laughs> champion h.i mcdonough from the film raising arizona going head to head with peter leo so i i'm going to tell you right now how i scored this fight directly and that's 5-0 no you're kidding me (laughs) yeah I'll I'll explain as we go along but I just don't think he can be beaten in this role okay first up is likability yeah Peter Lowe (laughs) you know what you're you're kind of right like I say there was that just little moment where he was like my my cute younger brother and I just I just fell for him there like he makes his 
a sofa into a coffin. The, the H.I. McDonough character just doesn't have the substance that Peter Lowe has. He doesn't have any of those standout lines. He doesn't have any of that childish kind of innocence at the same time as doing these horrible things. There's something about him where, yeah, he's a bastard. But if he was your mate, yeah. <laughs> it'd be a laugh, wouldn't it? Next up is strength. I think that's pretty... I saw what he did to that lamp. Yep. Next category... <laughs> Next up is agility. Uh, agility. We've we've seen how much how flexible he is and how much he can bend his legs. We've seen him run around whilst <laughs> flapping, yelling, "I'm a vampire." Tell me this can be topped, Ben. Tell me this isn't a straight five nil to Peter Lowe. Credit where it's due. McDonough does an amazing job of literally dodging all those bullets and dogs and shopping trolleys. But right, you are just right out the gate, less than three minutes in. He had he had to run. That was the difference. Peter Lowe's agility is so strong that he walks away he from a murder. Just and he doesn't even leave the venue. Just walks about. Just isn't fussed. He can't be caught, and he's hiding in plain sight. Like he's dressing exactly. as a vampire, covered in blood. Everyone thinks it's fake. Yeah, you know what? He takes it on agility. Next up, we're talking appearance. Bod, look. <laughs> Just right. Try and tell me that you're gonna pick dad bod over fake vampire I mean, yeah. teeth. When it comes you know to what? imagery You're here. completely right. In terms of like... he, The hair as well, the eyes, everything about Peter Lowe's character here. It's just... Jeez. He is going to be hard to beat. And then, needless to say, the final category is Cage. We're looking at a 5 nil game here, people. I'm sorry, Herbert, maybe Ian McDonough, <laughs> but this is, this is a straight loss for you, pal. You had a good run. But moving on to the next round of Cage match, we have the one and only... Peter Leo, the vampire kisser. I'll be interested to see how he does against man in red sports. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like one agile dude, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. That about does it for today. Wow. What a, what a thrill. What a joyride we've been on. <laughs> I feel like we're still going to be picking this apart tomorrow. I've got so much more written down that I still, I still want to talk to you about with this. This is going to be one that sticks with us for a long time. Tomorrow's episode is going to be a bumper edition where Dan and I are going to watch the film together and get our eagle eyes out to try and spot man in red sports car. We'll edit it down so it's not uh, you just listening to us watch an entire film, but it will have some live commentary on the film, which neither of us have seen. Or know anything about. Quite excited for it, to be honest. I want to go in for once absolutely 100% completely blind. I'm not looking up anything in advance. I just want to go in and see what I can find out. Well, I did that today, mate, and let me tell you, it votes for a hell of a result. It pays off. I am a changed man. <laughs> All right, then. Daniel, as always, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Mate, it's been the best. Nick, what can I say? Come here, buddy. Wow. And like we say, every single day here, despite all my rage, I'm still hanging out with A you. vampire. <laughs> Oh. Um.